Um, if I show you this picture, I was, I was struck by um, this photo. I don't know exactly when I saw it, and I don't know how many of you have seen this. Have any of you seen this photo before? was actually taken at a, a movie premiere uh, in the States, I believe. I believe it was in the States. And, um, and you'll notice the, the obvious here. There's a lot to say about this photo. It's like a social commentary um, in, in a kind of photo intake there. But um, you'll notice that there's only one person in the whole of this photo who's not holding up their mobile phone. <laughs> okay? So it took you a while to spot her, I know. It took you, you were like, why is he just showing this random photo? Now you're in on the photo, okay? Now you've seen what, what everybody else sees. Um, there's a lot to say about this photo, um, but, but the thing that struck me and um, what I'm preaching on today is waiting with expectation. When we wait, when we're called to wait in God and we wait with expectation. They, they, they are all in theory waiting with expectation there. They're waiting, actually they're waiting for the actor Johnny Depp. That is who they are all looking for. I know it seems surprising. They are waiting for Johnny Depp. Um, and, uh, and this went viral. This photo went viral because of its social commentary. Uh, and the lady involved actually does not own a mobile phone. Shock horror. Everybody was... I mean, this made the news. This lady does not have a phone and it made the news. Shock horror. She doesn't own a phone. And she's there taking in a... Mo- and, and, I, and, I, and I saw this photo... And I, and I felt like God uh, saying, this is almost like a parable for us on the way we can choose to wait and be prepared for Jesus. On the way we can. It's almost the irony for me is that they are so concerned about recording the actor on their phone that they miss the actor in person. So they are there with the opportunity to get one-on-one with Johnny Depp. Who they've queued up for, who they've waited for. They have this opportunity to meet someone who they hold in high regard and they are more concerned with capturing the moment for someone else or to boast their own ego or their own social media profile than they are of just capturing it eye to eye and eyeballing and speaking and, uh, and taking it in. And I realized when I look back on, on why we ended up in South Africa, um, it was because my wife and I came to a point in our faith where even when we were leading uh, and we were in leadership, where we realized we were missing an opportunity to go one-on-one with God. We were missing an opportunity to go face-to-face with God. We are missing an opportunity to grapple with God, to ask God whether he really could do what we read about in the scriptures. Could he really do some of those things of us? Could he really do some of those things in our own lives? And God sent us to South Africa with simply one call. There was, if you ask people, we've done lots of stuff. Yeah, sure. We've done lots of things and we've been involved in lots of stuff. But if you go right back to the original thing God said to us when we came here, he said, I want you to go and learn. That's all I want you to do. I want you to go to another nation. I want you to pack everything up. I want you to take your kids with you. We came here when our daughter was eight months old. We, we, we had our son who was three years old. Our daughter was eight months old. We packed everything up. Um, we, we, we came out here and God told us, just, I want you just simply to go out and learn. And the question, it really, we, we, we don't have, when people say to me, go share your heart, go preach what you've got, go, go. All I've really got for you today is this, that when I read the scriptures and when I understand the scriptures and when I've wrestled with God fully, one-on-one, God keeps saying the same thing to me, is that you're prepared to be prepared. Are you actually willing to go slow? Are you willing to slow down? Are you willing to sacrifice some of what you think you are to achieve? 
Are you willing to wait and to hold and to wait again and to wait again until I will achieve what I want to achieve in you and in the work that you want to be involved in? There's a, uh, the scripture I'm going to read to you is from uh, uh, Luke chapter 2. And it's Advent season. I know, um, I, I don't think South Africa really likes Advent. I don't know what you've got against Advent as a South Africans. I'm not sure what the deal is. Like English people, we love Advent, okay? You must know. I, see, look, you're even upset with me now. You usually laugh at my jokes now. You're like, no, 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 man. No, don't talk about Advent. No, don't preach about Advent. No, I just, Advent is not a religious thing, right? Okay, just so you know, I know that goes close to the bone for you. No, preach grace, man. Preach grace, not Advent, okay? Advent is the season of expectant waiting and preparation. It's where we are called and we come for, for four weeks where we come before um, Christmas and where we are called simply through the month of December to prepare our hearts for Christmas. We are actually called into a season of preparation. There are many in the Bible that are called into a season of preparation, just called to prepare their hearts called to expectantly wait. Advent is about expectantly waiting. And in the story uh, right at the beginning of the book of Luke, we meet two people who have been expectantly waiting for Jesus. And uh, and we'll we'll read. It's uh, from Luke chapter 2, and it starts in, um, I'm going to read from verse 22. The time came for Mary and Joseph to do what the law of Moses says, a mother is supposed to do after her baby is born. They took Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord. Just as the law of the Lord says, each firstborn baby belongs to the Lord. The law of the Lord also says that parents have to offer a sacrifice, giving at least a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So that is what Mary and Joseph did. At this time, a man named Simeon was living in Jerusalem. Simeon was a good man. He loved God and was waiting for God to save the people of Israel. God's spirit came to him and told him that he would not die until he had seen Christ the Lord. When Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to do what the law of Moses says should be done for a new baby, the spirit told Simeon to go into the temple. Simeon took the baby Jesus in his arms and praised God. Lord, I am your servant and now I can die in peace because you have kept your promise to me. With my own eyes I have seen what you have done to save your people and foreign nations. We'll also see this. Your mighty power is a light for all nations and it will bring honour to your people Israel. Jesus' parents were surprised at what Simeon had said. Then he blessed them and told Mary, This child of yours will cause many in Israel to fall and others to stand. The child will be like a warning sign. Many people will reject him and you. Mary will suffer as though you have been stabbed by a dagger but all this will show what people are really thinking. The prophet Anna was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phinuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. In her youth, she had been married for seven years, but her husband had died, and now she was 84 years old. Night and day, she served God in the temple by praying and often going without eating. At the time, Anna came in and praised God. She spoke about the child Jesus to everyone who hoped for Jerusalem to be set free. After Joseph and Mary had done everything that the law of the Lord commanded them, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. The child Jesus grew and became strong and wise, and God blessed him. Interestingly, right at the the start of this story in Luke, we are introduced to two people who have been waiting. 
who have been waiting, who have been given a promise and are standing on that promise and are waiting. The words of Simeon are, I can now die in peace because you have kept your promise to me. I wonder how many of you would have waited. I wonder how many of you would have, would have waited week after week. It's easy to read. I often say this. In the Bible, you read things that take two lines that actually take years. Okay? Joseph spent three years in prison. One line in the Bible. You put me in prison for three years and you see how much I start complaining. <laughs> three years in prison. And that's, a, that's almost like a, just part of the story, you know? Just three years. Yeah, there. And we go, and here we are told... The prophet Anna was also in the temple, uh, and she had, in her youth, had been married for seven years. Her husband dies. She's now 84 years old, depending on how old you are. That's perspective, right? I don't know whether that's old to you, but to me, 84 is old, right? She's old. Uh, night and day, she has been serving God in the temple, praying, and often going without eating. She has been fasting and praying through the night, night and day, for years. For years. And yet she waits patiently and does not lose hope. The last thing I want to stand up and talk about here is rugby, for obvious reasons. <laughs> for obvious reasons. I've been publicly rebuked from this pulpit plenty of occasions in the last few weeks about rugby. However, you notice with the South African rugby team the link between waiting and the need for hope. Why does everybody celebrate? You, we, there are articles written in the, in the English press about understanding the context of the rugby victory in South Africa to a South African. Because the general English public won't understand why it's so significant to South Africa that Sia Kolisi lifts the cup and South Africans celebrate in such a way. We would have celebrated, but probably just for the weekend. We would have. We would have, we would have, you must understand. We would have celebrated in the nation, but probably just for the weekend. And then we watch it on the highlight reel. Yeah, yeah. It will hold here as a far more important victory than that. Yeah. Why? Because to a certain extent, it renewed hope for something that you are waiting for. Sure. You are waiting to see a nation that is often so divided, united. And the rugby team offered a glimpse of hope again to what it can be. Everybody says about the Rugby World Cup, I gave a hope of what Cape Town can be. The Rugby World Cup in Cape Town, we were able to travel on the train together. It was safe. It gave a hope of what the world can be. The Soccer World Cup, sorry. The Soccer World Cup in 2010. It gave this hope for what the nation can be. It gave this hope for what the streets can feel like. It gave this hope for what unity does look like. If you are losing patience with waiting, ask yourself, what am I hoping for? Ask God to renew your hope. Ask God to give you glimpses of what you are hoping for. Ask him to give glimpses of what he has promised you. And hold on firm to the promises you have been given. Because God is good to fulfill the hope that is laid in your heart. In truth, the whole of creation is waiting. Romans chapter 8. If you read in, in a, and I'm just flicking forward. I've got an old-fashioned an old Bible, so you'll, you'll bear with me. I can't just flick with my iPad. Romans chapter 8 uh, tells us, and it, I'll quote the exact verses from verse 18. I am sure that what we are suffering now cannot compare with the glory that will be shown to us. 
I'm sure, I know that we're suffering now, I'm sure, but now hold on for the glory that's awaiting us, okay? There's this interplay again. I know you're waiting. I know you're waiting. And we know what we are waiting for, and I know you are even suffering in your waiting. But let's be sure about the glory that it will be shown to us. In fact, all of creation is eagerly waiting for God to show who his children are. The whole of creation is waiting. You are waiting. We are waiting. The church is waiting. Wider than that, the whole of creation is waiting for the glory of God to be revealed. So why on my last Sunday here, when, when normally we preach the crossing the river preachers, we're going to cross the river, we're gonna re- we've reached the promised land. And we look back, do I preach on waiting? Because we are waiting. Not everything is yet fulfilled. We are still holding on and we are still waiting. The work we are doing in the local community is not yet complete. In fact, we've only just laid down the foundations. The work here in the Bay City Church is not yet complete. In fact, we have only just started to lay down and finish the foundations for the season at which we are in. But we mustn't lose patience or hope while we are waiting. It's critical that we understand we live with others. It says we know that creation is groaning and it is in pain like a woman about to give birth. I have watched my wife give birth three times. Each time I've said, I wish I lived in a culture where I could just sit outside and wait to be told and smoke a cigar. I'll be honest with you. It is not, um, childbirth is not an angel sweet smelling experience, right? You don't sit there and think, glory to God, this is exactly where I want to be right now. You don't. I'm telling you, you do not. You do not do that when you are in the room. You sit in the room and you pray like you've never prayed before. Sometimes you feel sick. Dare you say you feel nervous or sick because you're going to get something come straight back at you, right? You don't say you feel nervous because it's going to be the wrong thing. You don't say you feel... My mother-in-law, the first time around, needed to be given gas and air at the end because she was about to faint, okay? Just so you're aware. I had been on my knees next to a birthing pool for 10 hours. I want you just to try and stay on your knees for 10 hours and then not complain. But you're not going to complain about your knees aching when your wife is giving birth. Because, because you, know, you know that your pain is in perspective here of what is actually happening, right? of what's happily happening. And what we are told, I'm telling you, the moment, the moment the baby comes, the moment is there, it's almost as though you forget where you've just been. Everybody. Everybody in the room. It's almost so it's moment to everybody in the room. Do you know the body, my wife tells me this, because this is why we've ended up having three children. She says, there's a natural hormone that gets released into a female's body after childbirth that helps them to forget how bad it was. Did you know that? That's how, your bo- that's how the body is created. It actually, that's why she said that's why we've ended up with three, Steve. It's that hormone. <laughs> if I could actually... Re- each time she's like, man, if I remembered how bad it was, I just wouldn't do it again, you know? But, but, and, and we're told that that is the waiting at which creation is doing. And, and it's waiting for what? It says the Spirit makes us sure about what will be in the future. But now we groan silently while we wait for God to show us that we are his children. This means our bodies will also be set free. And this interplay with hope again. And this hope is what saves us. But if we already have what we hoped for, there's no need to keep on hoping. However, we hope for something that we've not yet seen and we wait patiently for it. On the huge kind of macro scale of what God is doing, we are waiting patiently for the hope that Jesus will return and restore all things to himself. We're waiting for the occasion where there will be no more suffering, no more pain and no more death. 
That is what we are waiting for. And this Christmas, we prepare our hearts and we wait expectantly in Advent that Jesus will return. Don't grow, don't grow tired and weary of waiting for Jesus to return. Jesus will return. Jesus will return. We wait with a patient hope and expectation. We can live free in the way we have because this is not it. Diana and I gave away happily because this is not it. The money we had stored up in our bank account was not it. That wasn't the, the end goal. The end goal wasn't to build up loads and loads of money so that one day we'd die and then give away to our children money. Or the, the, the idea wasn't to give them an inheritance in cash. The idea was to give them an inheritance in the Lord. And to say, these are the stories of our family. This is what our, our grandparents have done. This is what our parents have done. And this is what we have done. And this is whom we follow. And what you see here, if we're able to give it to you, great. If not, the Lord will provide for you. And actually, we're living quite lightly here, son. Daughters, we're living quite lightly here. You can live lightly here on earth because this is not it. This isn't the final destination. This is not, what you are waiting for is not a four-bed house with a pool in Constantia. As nice as those houses are, that's not what we're waiting for. We're not hoping that eventually we'll, we'll finally get to the point where we'll be... Fi- Do you know, even those people who believe they're totally financially free end up worried about being financially free. Yeah. Being financially free does not solve you of all our worries. In fact, it was quite a pleasing moment when we actually realized we don't need to serve this money thing. We can just release it and let it go. Because we serve something greater. And our hope, our hope was not for a full bank account and a three-bedroom house. That was not our hope. Our hope was to see something revealed in Jesus. Our hope was, in the same way, to expectantly see Jesus face to face. To To actually ask ourselves whether we could believe for what we read here. Some of us have given up hope that what we read here can actually come to pass in our own lives. And the last five years, last six years, in fact, since 2012, we've been coming out to South Africa. So the last eight years has reassured me that what we read here does not need to remain here, but can be lived and practiced in our very lives. But it will take us to lay down that which we are hoping for that is not also found here. You will need to lay down some of those things that you have holding out as hope and lay them down and say that your only hope is found in Jesus Christ. Your only true hope, that will last, that which will not perish, that which will not be burned up on the final days will be that that has been seen in and through Jesus Christ. There is nothing we could have come here with. We came with nothing. You must know we came empty-handed when we came here. We came empty-handed when we came here. You don't need people to come from England to come with stuff. We came empty-handed. You don't need someone to come with stuff. You don't need someone to raise you. You just need Jesus. You just need Jesus. Sure, people can be helpful in that. Sure, people from overseas can be helpful in that. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that the primary focus is not that we came from overseas. The primary focus is that we came in Jesus. The primary focus is we send Morton and Lizzie in Christ to go to Malawi. We send them home. The primary focus is you send us in Christ, the richer for having been in South Africa, back to the UK to do what? To bring Jesus. We are empty-handed other than Jesus. We have nothing to preach other than Jesus. We have no hope other than Jesus. 
And it is that that we wait patiently and we wait expectantly for. Yes, Jesus has done miraculous things amongst us. Yes, Jesus has done more than we could ask or imagine. Yes, it's immeasurably more than we could have asked or imagined. Absolutely. I'm going to preach on New Year's to to some millennials in London. And I can't wait to preach for them the stories from South Africa of how God is doing immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. It will blow their socks off. I already know it will. But today, for those of us here, the call is, are you prepared to wait? Are you prepared to take that for which he's promised you for, and will you wait years? Will you, will you, as the example uh, we are given uh, in, in the story that we read, will you pray and fast night and day? Will you? Will, you, will, will we get to the stage where we go beyond the one night through? Yeah. Will we? Because that's what we're waiting for. That's what we're believing for. We are believing for the, for the time when prayer and worship goes beyond the one day and night a month. Yeah. We're waiting for that time. We are patiently waiting and expecting for that time. When the Spirit of God comes upon us in such that we realize our actual mandate here is to fast and to pray and to worship through the night. And not to stop, but to hand the baton on to the next person that comes into the room. And to hand the baton on to... That's why in faith we've put a prayer room in the heart of Freyfront. In faith. In the, is it always open? No. Are the doors sometimes locked? Yes. Are there people, though, that go and pray? Yes, every week. Every week. There are faithfully... that do nothing in that space other than pray. Are there people that come here every week and worship the Lord? Yes. Are there people that now we, we come once a month and we go through the night? Yes. When we move that to it going through the day, the question is, it, it, have we got enough stored hope? Are we reminded that Jesus is enough? Are we reminded that this is truly what we are, are made for? Are we uh, uh, um, cognizant enough that going out to work for another day won't beat that? Yeah. Work will still be there for us. But those times of coming through the night, like Anna, in the temple, through the night, 84 years old, night and day, she goes. Simeon, patiently waiting for God, holding on in hope. But be sure that what they get to do is hold Jesus and stare at him face to face. They get to bless he who himself flung the stars into space. They and through whom the whole earth and universe that we cannot fathom was created, they get to hold him in their arms and bless him. Because of what? Because of their gifting? No. Because of all the great work they did? No. Because of who they were in the community? No. Because of who they were in the church? No. Because they patiently waited and held on to hope. What has God laid on? If, if, if we had thought this was a quick, this has taken eight years. Eight years. In 2013, it took seven years. People say, oh, it must be, so, you've been part of a, a miracle. You saw the miraculous God. People put money at your feet. And you saw, it's taken us then seven years to steward what God did on that one day. Seven years. Only today are we released from that when you send us. Up until then, for the last seven years, everybody's forgotten about what happened then, but God told us, go and faithfully steward what I did on that one day. On that one morning, I just want you to faithfully steward till the point where you can be released from that. I want you to faithfully go and steward what I did on that morning. And today we know there's 40 staff, there's a building, there's, there's three major projects that are running, there's education that's running, there's enterprises, there are businesses that are running, and there's skills training that are running. There are young people that in the projects that we've established over the last few years that have now been in employment for three solid years. Unemployed young people, and they didn't matriculate. 
We now know we can go back. There are young people in universities that are going there because the, the, we, we know what it means to patiently wait. Yeah. The foundation is nearly 10 years old. Yeah. It predated us. It predated us when it began. Are we seeing everything? No, no, not yet. There is still much that we want to see that we are hoping for. There is more than we could ask or imagine. But the call for us is just simply to patiently wait. So what do we do in our patient waiting? How does it affect us? Well, let's talk about some of the impacts of not waiting first. When you are not prepared to wait with expectation, this is what you experience. The first thing is frustration. Just get frustrated. When you're not prepared to wait with expectation. No, we still haven't seen the high school built. Man, it's just frustrating. It's just frustrating. Let's go and see a high school. Let's go and do it. Let's go and push it. Because the next thing you do out of that frustration is you make your own plan. You see this in the scriptures time and time again. From your frustration, you will lead yourself into sin because you will begin to make your own plan. Don't begin to make your own plan on the promises that you're waiting for for God. It will only lead you to a painful uh, uh, route or a longer waiting period. How many times do you think Moses walked around the desert and thought, man, I wish we hadn't tried to make our own plan, you know? (laughs) We do. We do all the time. We make our own plan. The next thing it will lead to is anxiety. You will believe that you have to make whatever promises you've been given come to pass. So if you want to play God in your own life, hold tight for some anxiety to come your way. You'd be, very, you'd be very anxious if you tried to be God. God has more than you could cope even in, in for five... We couldn't even cope with the pressure of that for two minutes. There's a movie, Bruce Almighty, where... where I don't know, some of you have seen it. It's quite an old movie now. And, and, he, and, he, and he plays God. And there's a point where he, re, he receives all of the prayers of the earth at one time. And he hears the voices of all the prayers coming. And then he can't cope with it. He says, I can't... I, 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 there's too many voices, too many voices. Make it post-it notes. And then... His whole room gets covered in post-it notes. And he gets covered in post-it notes. Just can't handle it. Cannot handle it. If you want to play God in your own life, be prepared for some anxiety to come your way. The next thing we do is we just associate certain things with God's character. Because it hasn't happened yet, God must be mad with me. God must be mad. God must be angry. I must be doing something wrong. Can you imagine? She, Anna and, 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 and Simeon. Simeon's like, well, I've been given this promise. I don't know. It hasn't come yet. I've been given this promise. I must be doing something wrong. The root of then, I must then maybe try and need to change something, try and spice it up, try and make something happen. I, I want you to understand this. When Sheldon said yes, uh, last week that, that next year is going to be a year where he really feels God is impressing on us that we're going to learn to pray as a community, I want you to understand this, that we're not going to jazz it up and try and make it like entertaining. It's not, we're not going to be like, oh, okay, so now we're going to do this prayer thing. And like, we're going to, like my son went to a silent disco the other day and he said, dad, they had a smoke machine. <laughs> I once preached at an event. This is true, right? I once preached at an event and there was a non-Christian sound technician running the event. No problem with that. He's running the event. I said, we're now going to wait on the Holy Spirit. He didn't obviously have any experience with that. He let off the smoke machines around me. <laughs> so, so I'm, it's a true. I'm at the end of the meeting, right? I'm like, we're just going to wait on the Spirit, going to see what God does. And then suddenly, because we're waiting quite a while, because that's what the Bible... I'm suddenly covered in, like, smoke. I just can't... Move. I'm like, I can't breathe. I'm literally standing with smoke almost covering my entire face as we wait on the Spirit to come. It's not a good look. It's not a good look. 
some, uh, I want you to know, sometimes when we waited, and we were, sometimes, honestly, when, when Diana and I would go to pray, we would go to pray, we would go to pray, we'd go to pray, we'd go to sit, we'd go to sit. Sometimes I didn't even feel like I was really praying. I would sometimes sit, I'm coming again, Lord, I don't know why, but I can't stay away. I got to that point where, we got to that point where we were desperate to pray. Lord, do it again in us. That's my prayer. We got to the point before we came here where we were so, so consumed with what God was doing, we knew the only place we needed to be was in prayer. And as a community, we're going to learn to pray, but it will not be jazzy. It will not be jazz hands pray together. It will just be, it won't be smoke machines. It will be the beautiful graft of coming night and day the beautiful task of being commissioned as a community to come night and day and to serve the Lord with prayers, to serve the Lord in our prayer. And to know that the book of Revelation says that before the throne, the prayers of the saints are poured out. To know that our prayers are powerful and effective, to know that our worship has access to God. We, the next thing we do is we become, if we don't wait, is we become cynical. We've all seen this. We've all seen this. We've become cynical. I became, you know, I think South Africa, one of the biggest gifts this church has given me is to take the cynicism out of my heart. I used to be very cynical. English people are very cynical. Be very cynical. I used to say to my wife, we break through a lot in this church, eh? How big's the wall we're breaking through? <laughs> I did. I'm just being honest with you. Because every week we'd be breaking through something. I'm like, like how big's this wall? Are we eventually going to break it or what? Like, when do we get to the other side of this breakthrough? Are we through? Are we through? The pastor said we're officially through, right? We've... Because it's cynicism. That's just a simple cynicism. We make these jokes. We make these jokes because I'd, be, I'd become cynical. Yeah. Why? Because I wanted desperately to see the breakthrough, but I wasn't prepared to wait. So I'd rather dismiss the evidence of some breakthrough than accept we haven't quite got through yet. I lost hope. I lost hope in those breakthroughs, so I just became cynical. Crack a joke. Get out of it. Sometimes I used to not want to make altar calls at the end of preaching. I used to not want to wait long enough for something to happen. Just because of the pure embarrassment. That's, it, 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 we become embarrassed is the next one. We become embarrassed because we put it out there that we're going to do it and we're not sure we can do it. We put it out there that God has said it. This is the Noah's Ark effect. They have not seen rain, but you're building a boat. Because of what? A flood. Really? 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 Halfway through, you're building a massive ark? Halfway through, really? You're building that? Are you not telling me you feel a little embarrassed? But yet we must. We must sometimes push past the point of embarrassment. We must keep going and push past that point where people look at us and go, because the, the, the benefits of waiting are this. The benefits of when we wait, when we learn to wait, all of those blockers wait, when we learn to wait, are it builds humility in us. It builds humility in us. When we wait for an extended period, you realise none of this relies on you. Diana and I can't tell you, oh yeah, we came here with this really good plan, we executed plan, now it's time to leave. Praise God, thanks for the card. No, we had no plan when we arrived. We still don't have a plan today. We, don't know, we didn't know how to do most of the things that have happened. We're not sure how most of the things happened have happened. Yeah. <laughs> and have we, have we now got a full CV? Not really. Yeah. Not really. I tried to explain to somebody the other day who was, uh, on, who was offering me some work, right? 
it was kind of like an interview for some freelance work that I was doing. He said, what have you been doing for the last four years? I said, I, um, I've been a volunteer overseas. He said, good, what, how much, what have you been earning? I said, um, try to, I was, um, we're self-funded. <laughs> how are you self-funded? Um, our friends and family and churches. Okay. Um, how much would you expect to earn if you came to work for us? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> How much does it cost to keep your family? I uh, don't know. <laughs> Would the people that you've been working for, volunteering for, by the way, yes, be prepared to give you a reference? Yes, yes, I think so. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely, I think so. <laughs> How old are you? Um, 38. <laughs> so basically, you've been on an extended gap year for like five years in the middle of your life. <laughs> yes, I have. Without earning any money, correct. Yes, I have. <laughs> Did they give you a job title? Yes, a few. Yes, I've got a few job titles. <laughs> Who came up with your job titles? Me and my mate. <laughs> Do you have a business card? Nope. <laughs> no. It's how ridiculous it sounds. It just builds humility in you. It builds humility in you. Because you know, in the world's eyes, this is not how this is done. This is not how this is done. But do you know, in five years of living in that way, we've never, ever missed a bill. Never. I've never missed one bill in South Africa. Never. I've paid my rent every single month. I've paid every single medical bill that we've had. I've paid every single moving bill that has been associated. I've never, ever have I, have I, have I had a moment where I haven't, haven't been able to pay any single of the appliances or electricity bills that have come in. Every single time we've needed something, God has provided. Every time. How can we be anything but thankful? When people say, how do you feel now? I just say thankful. I'm thankful. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for Cape Town. I'm thankful for South Africa. I'm thankful for the Bay. I'm thankful for all the people that supported us. I'm thankful ultimately to God because he sustained us. And in in, in humility, God raises you up. There was a stage where the Minister of Social Development for the whole of the Western Cape knew me by name and said, if you have a problem with your next visa, I want you to call my associate and I want them to... I want them to be able to check out what's going on behind the scenes because I know the work that you are doing in the community for unemployed young people. No business card to give him. No business card. But knew me by name. Personally, we would talk. He would ask me, sit in meetings, he would ask me and others, not just me, others that we work with, he would ask us, what do you believe we can do to solve the unemployment crisis in the whole of the Western Cape? Can I claim any of that for myself? No. No. God will teach us humility when we wait. The second thing he'll teach us is he'll reveal our true motives. As we wait, our true motives will be revealed. As Simeon and Anna waited on the Lord, their true motives are revealed. You don't worship day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night without your true motives being revealed. Sheldon will always say, come here at three o'clock in the morning when there's like two people worshipping. Do you know, I actually came to faith during a 24-hour prayer meeting. I came physically to faith. That is how I came to the Lord. I went to a 24-hour prayer meeting. There were three people praying. I'd just been to a nightclub. I came out of the nightclub. There were three people praying, and two of them were sleeping on mattresses. Who, now, just ask yourself one question. Who brings a mattress to a 24-hour prayer meeting? A full-on mattress. Their bed mattress. Their bed mattress to the meeting. 
your motives are checked when it's three o'clock in the morning and you're holding the fort and you're, pl- and you're going and you're saying, your motives are checked when humanly speaking, everybody's looking at you and saying, this is absolutely crazy what you're waiting for. The third thing it will do is it will build patience and anticipation in your heart. We are waiting with a patience and an anticipation for what God is going to do in this place. We are waiting with anticipation for what the next year means. We are waiting with anticipation for why God really brought us here and then takes us there. We are waiting with anticipation because God has only just started. I honestly don't feel sad. I didn't feel sad when I left Sozo. I don't feel sad this morning when I stand before you because I am waiting with anticipation of what God is doing with us. He has only just started. He has only just started. He's only just begun. We have not seen yet the building that he's trying to build. We've only just seen the foundations that he's trying to lay. Amen. And with huge foundations come huge buildings. We've only just glimpsed with our eyes what God is trying to do with us. We have just caught the start of the story. So I don't stand here with sadness. I stand here with gratefulness and with anticipation. And my anticipation is built because of the hope of who I serve. And my anticipation is built because of what him who I serve can do amongst us. My anticipation is built and my patience is built because I will not give up on hope. We do not give up on hope for a local community. Many have given up on hope for communities. We have not given up hope. We are believing that the best is yet to come. We are believing they will be proved spectacularly wrong. Because they get proven spectacularly wrong time and time again. We do not give up on hope. We do not give up on hope on the church. People will give up on hope on the church. We do not give up on hope on the church. This, to build a multicultural church will take longer and it will take, we will go slower than other churches around us. But do not give up on hope on what God is doing. With us. It will be a deep work that it will do amongst us. We don't give up hope. We do not give up hope that our multicultural nature this morning speaks to South Africa. It speaks to the very nation itself, whom others can't even stand to be in the same room. We will come in together and we will stand as brothers and sisters and worship the same God. It speaks hope to a nation. What a multicultural church does is deep and profound in a nation of division. In a nation that is divided socioeconomically, where the rich keep themselves to themselves and, 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 are, and can afford to cut themselves off from everybody else, we live in a position where we give of what we have and where we break down walls and where we sit around the same tables and where we eat together, where we pray together, where we worship together, where we love one another, where we give away of ourselves and of what we've got to others. It speaks to the hope that the nation needs. And to be frank, the nation isn't going to find that hope in a rugby team. I know we love the rugby team and I know it helps. I know it helps and I know it's significant. But rugby pales into insignificance when it comes to the glory that the church can reveal. It pales into insignificance with the hope that the church can build for a nation. And that hope is simply found without smoke machines and in the ordinary me and you. (laughs) It doesn't mean we're not going to have jazzy meetings. It just won't happen. What we'll do is just the ordinary really, really well. We'll just do the ordinary stuff of life and following Christ patiently and obediently and full of hope and with smiles on our faces. We'll stand together in the tough weeks like we have done over the last few weeks when we've stood alongside others who have been suffering. We stand with those who who, who suffered this week and we stand shoulder to shoulder with each other. We stand through suffering and we say we're waiting patiently and the same as the earth is waiting. Our character will be transformed. Our dependency on God will grow. Our intimacy with God will grow. Our trust in the gospel will grow. Our humility will grow. Comparison will leave and worrying and living for tomorrow will leave. It has to leave. 
We haven't got time to be consumed with the embarrassment and the discouragement and, and sometimes the boredom of waiting. We must simply hold on to hope and say we are prepared to do the graft of patiently waiting with expectation. The religious side of Advent, I agree with you, we can leave behind. I agree with that. We can leave the religious side behind. The patient waiting and preparation, you can never leave it behind. Jesus himself did 30 years of preparation on earth for three years of public ministry. He considered preparation to be 10 times more important. Abraham waited, Joseph waited, Moses waited. I just want to ask you, at this point and in this season, are you prepared to wait? Are you prepared to wait and hold on expectantly for that which God is going to do amongst us? Where in you does cynicism need to drop? Where have you just got bored? Where, if you're honest, are you trying to change course because you're just bored? I'm bored. I want to humbly submit, if you pray and fast through the night for that many years, there are moments of boredom. There are. There must be. There must be some moments where she's bored. But she doesn't change course. Simeon does not change course because of frustration, because of anxiety, because of boredom, because of embarrassment, or because of discouragement. And some of you are running the risk of of changing course because you are not prepared to wait expectantly for what God is going to do amongst us. God is going to do something in you. God is going to do something in the church. God is going to do something in the movements that the church will influence and be part of. And God is going to do something in a nation when we patiently wait with expectation and hope that he will return and restore all things to himself. We're reminded today, finally, as I close, that Jesus not only came, but is coming. Jesus not only came, but is coming. Don't live your life as though Jesus isn't going to come again, because he is. Don't be caught out living for something that's now and temporal at the expense of something that's eternal. We don't regret anything we've done in the last eight years. None of it has been a waste of time. None of it has been lost. All of it was in the service of Jesus and in in partnership with our friends. All of it. So we regret none of it. We have no regrets. No regrets of living for Jesus and believing in hope that you should live in the way that you really truly believe he's going to return. I want to invite you if you know you're holding on to something, whether it's ministry, whether it's personally, whether it's a breakthrough, whether it's a promise over your life that you've not seen yet, whether it's a promise over your ministry that you've not seen yet, I want you just to stand and I'm going to pray for you that God would give you a grace while we wait expectantly. This tells you two things. One, God is not short of promises. (laughs) Two, waiting is part of the human experience. Father, as we stand and as we wait, we celebrate. Diana and I and our family celebrate that as we waited for you, we saw much fulfilled and we long for much to still be fulfilled. And God, as we stand as a community, we want you this Advent to teach us to wait with expectation, to tarry, to tarry and linger with expectation. 
We have a great expectation, God, that you not only came, but that you will return. And we ask you to give us a grace to stand with patience and hope. We ask you as we groan and as we suffer, as creation groans and suffers, we ask you, God, to take and hear our suffering and remind us of our hope. We ask you to sit with us in our suffering and whisper hope into our ear. Some of you, the suffering is so deep, God would just sit with you in it and whisper hope in your ear. He literally sits next to you like a father and says, just hold on. And he whispers hope in your ear. For some of you, the pain has been very, very, very distinct. The waiting comes with distinct pain. And Jesus would whisper hope in your ear. Hope after hope after hope. Hope that's deeper than sport. Hope that's deeper than work. Hope that's deeper than money. Hope that is deeper than stability. Hope that goes to the absolute depth of your being that one day you will rejoice on the streets of heaven with him. One day you will dance. And this, in the same way as childbirth pains are forgotten, will be temporal and will be forgotten. It will seem like a dim mirror. It will seem like something we can't pull back from our memory because he is so good. And being in his presence is so, so deeply good and profound. God, give us a grace as a community to wait. May grace fall upon us for waiting. May grace fall upon us for patience right now, I pray in Jesus' name. A patience fall upon us, God. A hope fall deep in our heart that would allow us to wait patiently. And we wait for the best. We wait for the best, God. Forgive us where we've sinned and try to grab our own opportunities and try to become our own gods. Lord, forgive us for when we've tried to do it at our pace and in our way. We want to see your timing and your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.